Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to Dan's Miscellaneous Ramblings, episode 346. Today, we're going to be discussing Marsquakes. So, you might be wondering what a Marsquake is. Well, you know earthquakes? Imagine if they happened on Mars. Yep, that's literally what a Marsquake is. It's just an earthquake, but on Mars. So we're going to be talking about this a little bit. Um, basically, it's a shaking of the surface or interior of the planet Mars as a result of a sudden release of energy in the planet's interior, such as uh, via plate tectonics, which most quakes on Earth originate from, or from hot spots such as Olympus Mons or Tharsis Montes. The detection and analysis of Mars quakes could be informative to probing the interior structure of Mars, as well as identifying whether of any of Mars's many volcanoes will continue to be volcanically active. Quakes have been observed and well-documented on the Moon, and there's evidence of past quakes on Venus. However, Mars quakes were not definitively observed till 2019. Compelling evidence has found that Mars has been seismically more active in the past, with clear magnetic striping over a large re region of southern Mars. Magnetic striping on Earth is often a sign of a region or particu of particularly thin crust splitting and spreading, forming new land in the slowly spreading rifts, a prime example of this being the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. No clear spreading ridge, however, has been found in this region, suggesting that another possibly non-seismic explanation may be needed. Oh yeah, the enter message did change, because apparently people can't click the links that I put in there, and they also can't copy and paste them, maybe? I'm not entirely sure. But this, by putting in my name, then people can join my Discord server much easier, just by messaging me. Uh, also, join my Discord, because then you get live show updates, and you can, if you download the Podbean app, I'll alert you when shows are starting there. Um, yeah, I didn't realize you couldn't click that link for, like, a hundred episodes when I had that. So, oops, I guess. I do not know if Mars quakes are 20 times stronger than earthquakes. I do know that um, the 4,000 kilometer or 2,500 mile long canyon system, uh, Valles Marineris, Marineris, has been suggested to be a remnant of an ancient Martian stri uh, strike slip fault. If you don't know what a strike-slip fault is, uh, this is actually one I know. Uh, it is a, a a type of fault where the where the fault surface of the plane or plane is usually near vertical. So uh, there's like there's a wall on the bottom called the foot wall, and then a wall on the top. And the foot wall moves laterally, either left or right, with very little vertical motion. So uh, basically, just uh, if you look at it from the top, like the land appears to shift, but nothing gets higher or lower. They just sort of move side to side. Uh, there's also there's other faults where they and so they you got the hanging wall and the foot wall, and the hanging wall is the top one, the foot wall is the one below it. But in strike slip faults, they're pretty much for it's pretty much vertical that uh, that uh, the actual fault. So. You technically call whichever one happens to be higher the hanging wall, but like it's not that much of a difference. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, welcome. Yeah, we're talking about Mars quakes. I hope you like earthquakes, but for Mars, anyway. So, yeah, Velis uh, Marineris has been suggested to be a remnant of an ancient Martian strike slip fault. The first confirmed seismic event emanating from Velis Mar Marineris, a quake with a magnitude of 4.2, was detected by InSight 
on the 25th of August, 2021, proving it to be an active fault. And Insight, as you know, you may know, is the interior exploration using seismic investigations, uh, geodesy, and heat transport. Um, it's just an acronym, Insight. But it's a robotic lander uh, that is designed to study the deep interior of Mars. So that's uh, that's all on Mars. It's pretty cool. Um, all right, we're going to move on. Detectability. Dun, dun, dun. I need like more music. Uh, I used to have a whole bunch of music on here, but it keeps like deleting the music I put on. So, oh well, no music for us. We don't need it. We can do better. The first attempts to detect seismic activity on Mars were with the Viking program in 1975, although landers were operated for several years and the seismographs were mounted on top of the landers. They were unable to detect any clear seismic activity to the March due to the Martian wind blowing them too much. It's possible to rule out frequent and large Mars quakes at that time, because obviously if it was a frequent large Mars quake, the lander would have been able to feel it even with the wind. The Viking 2 device collected data for 2,100 hours or 89 days uh, over 560 souls of lander runtime, which a soul, I believe, is what you call a day of of whatever planet you're on, I think. The Viking 1 lander did not return any data due to a problem acting activating the seismometer geez. times when the wind speed was low at the Viking 2 site allowed limits to be placed on the seismic activity at the time and place on Mars. There has been one candidate for a Mars quake on, the, on Sol 80, which or by the Viking 2 seismometer. However, there was no wind speed data, so it's not possible to say whether it was the wind or not. So, uh, Much of the data has been converted to uh, SKI files from the original recordings. 30 years later, though, data from the InSight mission led to an increased interest in the Viking dataset, and further analysis may reveal one of the largest collections of Mars Dust Devil detections. If you don't know what a Dust Devil is... Well, we're going to talk about the Martian dust devil for a sec. Uh, it basically, they're just big, big clouds of dust that like fly around and are super cool. That That's about it. <laughs> well, yeah, detectivity. Yeah, it's detectivity. It's a weird word. I don't like it that much. But like, it's a word. Um... <laughs> All right, we're going to move on. The InSight Mars lander launched May 2018, landed on Mars on the 26th of November 2018, and deployed a seismometer called the Seismic Experiment for Interior Structure, or SIZE, on the 19th of December 2018 to search for Mars quakes and analyze the internal structure of Mars. Even if none were detected, it is expected to be sensitive enough to detect possibly several dozen meteors causing airbursts into Mars' atmosphere, uh, every year, plus as well as the meteorite impacts. We'll also investigate how the Martian crust and mantle respond to the effects of meteorite impacts, which gives clues to the planet's inner structure. A faint seismic signal, believed to be a small Mars quake, was measured and recorded by the InSight lander on the 6th of April 2019. The lander seismometer detected ground vibrations, while three distinct kinds of sounds were recorded, according to NASA. Three other events were recorded on four, the 14th of March, 10th of April, and the 11th of April, but these were even smaller and more ambiguous in origin, making it determined 
very difficult to determine their cause. Would it take the rover? Would the rovers? Uh, it took me three minutes to remember what it, er, this it, what they're called, on their detect the quakes. Oh, okay. Would the rovers detect the quake? Uh, yeah, the rovers are, uh, especially the rover that was launched very recently, Insight. Its entire job is to detect earthquakes and also like uh, do other studies of the interior of Mars. Before the Vikings weren't very, very they weren't very good at detecting quakes because the seismometers were put on top, which is just really stupid because then the wind would blow and they'd feel it. Now it's like, come on. But this one actually has uh, devices specifically for collecting that data. Uh, honestly, I'm not really sure if it's data or data. I just use it completely interchangeably. However, I think that if people are going to get like pick a side and get mad at data or data, I'm going to start saying other words wrong, saying it's like NASA or NASA, that sort of thing. So uh, that, that's just my two cents there. Uh, all right, we're gonna move up, go back to uh, talking. <laughs> and there's a couple videos as well that uh, I might share at some point, but obviously I can't do it for a podcast. So, eh. candidate seismic events. Despite the drawbacks of the significant wind interference on Sol 80 of the Viking 2 lander's mission, which was roughly November 23rd, 1976, the onboard seismometer detected an unusual acceleration during the period of relatively low wind speed. Based on the features of the signal and assuming that Mars's crust behaves similarly to Earth's crust near the lander's testing site in Southern Carolina, or California, sorry, the event was estimated to have a magnitude of 2.7 and a distance of roughly 110 kilometers. However, the wind speed was only measured 20 minutes pre previously and 45 minutes after at 2.6 and 3.6 meters perspective respective, per second, respectively, with a sudden gust of wind at 16 meters per second being required to produce the event, it cannot completely be ruled out. On Sol 128 of the InSight Lander mission for the... Uh, the size detected one magnitude, one to two seismic event on the 6th of April, 2019. Three other unconfirmed can, uh, candidate seismic events were detected on the four, those three days I said earlier, which were the 14th of March, 10th of April, and 11th of April, on, all in 2019. The quake is similar to moonquakes detected during the Apollo program. It could have been caused by activity internal to the planet or by a meteorite striking the surface. The epicenter was believed to be within 100 kilometers of the lander. As of the 30th of September 2019, SIZE had reported 450 events of various types. Which I just think is very cool. Da <laughs> Data is what we observe. Data is a character on Star Trek. Or maybe it's backwards. Who knows? Caramel versus caramel. Oh, here's the, the thing of caramel versus caramel. I'm pretty sure that's a regional thing because caramel is how I've always said it, but caramel just feels fancy and British. Um, oh, yeah, and Caribbean and Caribbean or and Caribbean. To, okay, here's my take on the Caribbean Caribbean thing. I say it's Caribbean, except in the case of Pirates and the Caribbean. That's how I say it. 
Because specifically that series of movies, I think, deserves the slightly extended pronunciation. Uh, yeah, okay, we got someone wanting to call in. Let's uh, w- let's do that. That sounds like a fun, fun time. Yeah. Uh, welcome on to Dan's Miscellaneous Ramblings. Uh, okay, they didn't pop on. I don't know where they've gone. Uh, oh, they're there. Howdy. Can you hear me now? Hello, hello. Hold on. Oh. Hello, hello. Hey, you are on. Hey, <laughs> hey I, I love this subject of the etymology and the pronunciation of words. And if we're just on Dan's ramblings, this is a this is a beautiful thing to ramble about because <laughs> it's such a it's such a low level thing that people argue so vehemently about. And I really love how intensely people will protect their position. Caribbean, Caribbean, I 100% agree with your position. It is the Caribbean, unless it's the Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean. <laughs> thank you, thank like, you. Uh, like though instance, I would say, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, for instance, Royal Caribbean, the cruise company that basically has ownership of that region, Royal Caribbean, not Royal Caribbean. And and I really appreciate your insights on, on caramel versus caramel. Yes, it's regional, but caramel just seems a little bit hoity-toity. Otherwise, it seems also <laughs> kind of lowbrow where it's like, you know, uh, not to say any any select groups of people, but it's more like a economic class and regionally where it's like caramel has lower class connotations or extreme upper class connotations and all the rest of us normies in the middle, it's caramel. <laughs> and yeah. and I... I I love, I love, I love this subject matter. It, it's a super cool thing that we all fight about. Yeah. Um, the, the girl I'm dating is actually a, like a super posh British person. And uh, she says, uh, I have to ask her about caramel and stuff, but, and caramel, but I don't know. Some of the words she pronounces are like, obviously she does the whole aluminum thing, which is just absolutely hilarious to me because obviously I'm, uh what's up i hail from a cornfield in the midwest and it's aluminum <laughs> but it's just Obviously. the <laughs> how the Obviously. how the words work out uh, it's just it's wild like even when you said uh I, I don't remember how you pronounce it but i always said like or it's like vehemently or vehemently like i've i've heard it both ways uh i uh, said vehement vehemently or vehemently yeah. And I've always said vehemently, which is just another interesting little bit. <laughs> I had a roommate who once gave me shit because I, I pronounced um, height instead of height. And he's like, what's the purpose of the H? I'm like, I don't know. It's just how I say it. And he's like, it's redundant. There's no H. I'm like, height, 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 height. And uh, I, there is actually a reason why American English has these, dare I say, efficiencies, because a lot of a lot of what we are talking about in etymology and pronunciation has to come down to essentially efficiencies like caramel versus caramel why do we pronounce it differently and i recently learned this in the last couple of years of my life and it has to do with marketing and the printing press and early newspapers and i i think this is so cool because the movements of language in the early 1700s into the 1800s, when 
printing presses were set up manually, you had to pay per letter for what you wanted to have published. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so American English found efficiencies wherever it could. Like for instance, British English still uses the U in the word color where we do not. And over the course of time, American English became a lot more efficient uh, kind of in the same way of doublespeak in 1984 or uh, or yeah. uh, Brave New World, where we just started to eliminate letters where they were no longer required because it costs us an extra cent to print. And the, I, I do have a little bit of insight on the not not exactly insight, but just like my, my own take on the whole including use on letters things. Yes, you're absolutely correct. There is one word in my opinion, that deserves the extra U. I don't really care about including the U on any, any other word, but I think the word glamour requires the extra U just because it is glamorous in and of itself to have that extra U, and I think it fits the word. I think that's a fabulous way to describe it. I don't know about you. For instance, I, I feel the same way. Like A very dignified way to spell the word gray is with an e instead of an a like i feel yeah. like i feel like gray deserves the e instead of the a and yeah. i won't back down for my position and technically i believe the rule on that is you spell it with an a in america and an e in england i believe that's the rule i believe um, but i refuse and i and I, I live in the states i'm also from a cornfield in the midwest i currently live on the east coast and regardless of where I live in the world, I will always spell gray with an E because Earl Gray is spelled with an E. And I because it's T like, and T is English. <laughs> right. Well, I just feel like gray deserves its dignity because otherwise it's just humdrum on your gray. Okay. You know, yeah, that's, that's fair. I honestly, I write it both ways interchangeably because then I figure I can just upset the most amount of people. Uh, if they actually care, which most people don't. <laughs> I believe but... that's neut neutral chaotic, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm going for. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to say this, but so that I can include you in the episode title, because I usually have a, a little like featuring and then whoever. Uh, what's your name for the for the uh, for the episode? You can make one up if you uh, don't want to oh, do no. that. But... No, that's fine. My name's Matt. Matt, yeah, nice to meet you. I, I usually ask that when you hop in, but uh, it's been a very long day. I don't usually record these at 10.30 at night. <laughs> it's all good. So what's your show all about? Yeah. Uh, today's show, obviously, is on Mars Quakes, as you heard. But uh, the I just pick a topic and I just talk about it for a while. And it, sometimes it evolves, like evolving into this whole etymology uh, discussion here, uh, which I I personally love. But uh, I usually just pick a topic and I go on. And sometimes it's just like reading from a Wikipedia article and just learning things with an audience. Sometimes it's uh, a, like a couple episodes ago, I lyrically analyzed Low by Flow Rida uh, in probably the worst way possible, which was very fun for me. Uh, but, and sometimes I'll have shows where like I just have some people on and we just. Uh, Google random questions and we just start answering them opinion wise. Like, oh, I just try and have fun and do whatever I want because it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That's the way to be. So let's talk about Mars for a second, if, if you'll allow. Yeah, go for it. And 
the idea that humanity wants to colonize Mars. So, oh boy, <laughs> I know, right? All right, settle in because I find it to be a undertaking that is. Have you ever heard the phrase "biting off more than you can chew"? I I definitely have. <laughs> and one of the things that I've thought about this, I okay, let, let's take it all the way back. <laughs> I, in, in elementary school, I I got placed in this advanced learning course that allowed me. It was essentially like being on the fucking bowling team for being a nerd. Where once a week you got to go hang out with the other nerds and you just got to bounce around ideas, and it and it was a cool thing to do. And we we talked about the idea of colonizing Mars, and I remember from around ten years old, I've been focused on the idea of is it even possible. My first. Uh, stab at the possibility was well there's ice caps so go where the water is however it's just so inhospitable on a temperature level however the the further down the road humanity gets and the more elon musk touts that i'm going to save humanity and go to mars i have i have to present to the court of opinion three distinct reasons why this is batshit crazy and retarded (laughs) one First, first and foremost, no magnetic field to protect you from radiation. Second, the difference in gravity and time will create a separate wing evolutionary wise of humanity. And third, the difference in gravity alone will make it so that anybody who was raised, born and lives on mars whoever tries to come back to earth will no longer be able to survive on earth let alone you know the the minutia of like you know the different microbiology and so on and so forth and the fact that it's so inhospitable and the fact that without that you know magnetic field to protect you from radiation you're essentially living underground my hypothesis is as such, if we haven't been able to colonize Antarctica and nobody lives on Mount Everest, how the fuck are we going to do Mars? Um, if I may offer a couple more reasons why it is absolutely insane. Uh, <laughs> the uh, one, we absolutely do not have the technology to terraform pretty much uh, most things on Earth, let alone Mars. Uh, it, and another one is people get lonely and get uh, very, very easily. Like they have to have shifts even down in Antarctica of people like uh, staying there only for six or so months. And then they have to come back to the mainland because they get depressed really, really easily with only a couple people around. And for a small Mars mission, that would be exactly the case, except they'd be trapped there for way, way longer because it takes so long to get to Mars. But also, even if we did manage to colonize Mars and terraform it somehow, the people going there, we it wouldn't be us. It would be like the the top a hundred billionaires just leaving us behind. <laughs> uh, just, there's just so much so much wrong with it. And I, the... I actually challenge that it wouldn't be the top billionaires. I actually challenge that it would be a Ponzi scheme of selling. It's kind of like a multi. Uh, multi-level marketing marketing? where where you would convince like the third or fourth tier down where it's like you're gonna go to mars and they're like yeah it's a one-way ticket but i'm gonna earn so much respect and glory and then they would just go mad and kill each other and everybody on earth would be like oh well i didn't sign up for that and 
I've also heard this statement. If we can't terraform the Sahara Desert, then what the what the hell are we trying to do with another planet? Like what what on earth could we possibly hope to achieve on another planet at this level of our technology and our sociological sophistication? I I, I just don't think that there's any merit in it whatsoever, unfortunately. Cool idea. Just why not start with a moon base? Yeah, no, that that's absolutely fair. It's honestly it's the same thing in my opinion as like uh, the, like the hyperloop uh, that that Elon Musk is making. They like wow, it's kind of neat to have an underground tunnel that charges your car, but also you could just build a train, and I, it would be so much better in every way. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna make a statement, and either you agree or you don't. I think Elon Musk is going to go down as the biggest grifter in history ever. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's like, he's definitely, he's a smart person, but he's the kind of smart that, uh, that appeals perfectly to everyone who is very, very dumb. He's like, he's the modern day Howard Hughes, where it's like the Spruce Goose sounds like a great fucking idea, but... Have you ever seen the Simpsons episode where, um, oh God, Mr. Burns was impersonate or like the, the allegory for Howard Hughes and he created this little model and he, Mr. Smithers comes in and he's like, get in. And it's like Elon Musk is basically telling us all to get in. The hyperinflated stock value of Tesla has only to do with the fact that people believe in the celebrity of Elon Musk, not the fact that there is a viability in the technology. And point case matches, there's not enough lithium battery or lithium reserves in the earth to switch us over. And and that's why there, there are a lot of advancements happening in solid state batteries that have nothing to do with lithium that could revolutionize the technology. But I really do believe that his richest man on planet Earth status has a lot more to do with celebrity than actually viable foundational science. And oh, yeah. It's just so disappointing because we actually, as a people, need solutions right now. Um, And I feel like he's just another snake oil salesman. And his takeover of Twitter is, I I feel like, is going to be one of those moments in history where it's like, ah, the the Wizard of Oz. We've we've now seen behind the curtain. You're just a capitalist. You you're nothing more. Like a, a solid businessman who's a really good bandstander. You're good on the soapbox, but when it comes down to the actual viability of your science, like I mean, it's really cool that he he like pushed electric vehicles forward. However, making bold promises that we're going to colonize Mars to save humanity, self-driving cars, and and so on and so forth. Part of me wants to believe that Jeff Bezos, with his bald head, Dr. Evil penis rocket, might be on a better path. Towards... Which is terrifying, considering that the, uh, what's the, the logo for Amazon is literally a smirk, which is possibly the most evil thing you could imagine for a multinational I, company to <laughs> I know but he, here's my here's my pitch for why Amazon and Jeff Bezos might not be the worst thing that ever happened and let's take Star Trek 
as a case study because when you look at Star Trek and the universe that Gene Roddenberry created, specifically the next generation, it was specifically the replicator, the the ease of access of consumer goods on the ready, just like that, and automation that freed humanity to do whatever the fuck they wanted to, that allowed, and that coupled with, you know, warp technology, obviously, we have a, a need to expand the matrix like a virus. Uh, so right now, I, I look at like the automation is the, the scariest thing that could possibly happen However, if we were to take automation and make goods abundantly available to everybody and we had a frontier to explore, Elon Musk is talking about doom and gloom. Jeff Bezos with his penis rockets, like, why don't we just make it better? <laughs> Let's just go. Let's just fucking go. And I'm like, well, I, you know, yeah, I don't I, know. I'll definitely say that Jeff Bezos is – I he's definitely less bad than uh, Elon Musk. I've – I'm – I have a large disdain for anyone who has that much wealth just because thinking it, regardless of whether or not you earn or you earn to that much wealth, it's just like, I, I don't know. I feel like if you based on our capitalistic society and especially in America where we don't have, you know, free healthcare and a bunch of other things, I, I think there's definitely, I, I believe there's a duty to, you know, you said duty. use that to help people. But that's but barring that i don't know there's i think that there's a lot of solutions that some of the like the some of the smartest minds have been trying to come up with better ideas for including including elon musk but some of them just like say uh, talking about like i'm sorry my brain is just out right now it's been a really long day but the (laughs) It's okay. Um, I, I I was doing verbal vomit, just spitting yeah. ideas of ridiculousness. Do you mind Wait. if I jump in? Oh, okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so we're talking about billionaires right now. One of the coolest things that I, I've seen in the last couple of years, because there there there's a disappearing middle class. There is a global economy. There's hyperinflation. There is a wealth transfer to a smaller group of people than has ever existed ever except for maybe in the age of you know there was an african uh empire there was julius caesar there's only been a handful of times ever ever on planet earth that the concentration of wealth that exists right now exists in the way that it has however the the efficiency of propaganda and media and and you know just people learn we're we're efficient creatures like humans we're we're highly highly adaptable we're very clever and it doesn't mean that these people with billions of dollars are excused from just being fucking human so the the best thing that i've seen over the last couple years that have come out in defense of uh i guess defending ourselves as a class related society all around planet earth is what is the purpose of the billionaire? Like, if you think about the magnitude of what a billion dollars is and what it can achieve, it's a shit fucking load. Like, skyscrapers go up. Like, the biggest skyscrapers cost, like, five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars. And, and you know, if, if you need to put up your phallic edifice of your legacy for seven hundred million dollars, good for you, dude. But how much more does a single individual need? So... I think that, you know, at 
at the point where a person hits a billion dollars, give them a participation trophy and say, you won capitalism. And then every single dollar past that goes towards a public trust to reinvest into education, infrastructure and scientific um, research to for the survival of the species itself. And if we had that global just agreement that billionaires cannot and should not exist for our survival, then all that extra money. Now, now here is the crux of the argument, because we're talking about money. Money is currency. Currency in its root etymology is a current. It's meant to flow. So what do we have with these billionaires? We have a constipation. We've got people who are constipating the wealth of our fucking planet. And it's fractional reserve system. Some of this is just made up ideas at this point. We're just convincing yeah. <laughs> people to work on a made up fucking idea. And this made up idea, you got less than a thousand people on planet Earth who have literally constipated the system. I say make them take a shit. Take, oh, take <laughs> yeah, no, shit. I, you know, in I believe it was a, uh, some city states in ancient Greece that uh, only the wealthiest a hundred people, I believe, had to pay taxes, and it was considered a huge honor to be within that wealthiest to get to help the city state by paying the taxes. And I, I would love to have that sort of social reform. Uh, I realize that that's that something to that level is probably not going to happen, but I think, I think that that was a wonderful system and <laughs> that the, the Greeks got right. I believe it was Greeks. It might've been Romans, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, some, uh, some, the ancient Greeks. <laughs> it, it couldn't have been the Romans. And the reason that, I, that I say that it could not have been the Romans is the Romans were fundamentally takers. They oh, that's conquered. True. That's true. <laughs> Conquerors by nature, assimilators of cultures, and even though they had a form of democracy with their Senate, after they got done fighting with their neighbors like the Etruscans and the Gauls and whatever, like by the time they got to the point where they were messing around with uh, Greek politics in general, it it came like they had already won the wars against Carthage, and and they were just like there shall be nobody who is our equal in the Mediterranean. We're just going to take over everything so that yeah. nobody can. And, and what I love about the Greeks, the Greeks, if you really know your history prior to the Greeks, there was the, uh, the bronze age and there was the collapse of the bronze age. I mean, you had some really hyper sophisticated world global trade happening between about five empires and then it all collapsed we think maybe the sea people question mark and for about 500 years writing itself was in question if it was ever going to come around the coolest thing about the greeks is when civilization writing mathematics language philosophy astronomy when it all came back it came it came through the greeks and they chose democracy it tells you how turbulent the situation must have been and how sophisticated and beautiful the Greeks, even though they were like cousin fuckers and like boy rapers, like, <laughs> like, like oh, oh, what, what a time to be alive. But yeah, as, as far as their philosophies went, both political philosophies and moral and to everything else, uh, they philosophically, they were on point. They had some, they definitely had some, some issues in some other, other areas. I mean, but but everything in the ancient world had its 
had its issues. I mean, humanity, similar to how we grow up as people, like when you're a child, you know so much. When you're a teenager, adolescent, when you're a young adult, middle age, and then old, like we're we're not meant to know it all at once. And by the time you're wise enough to know all the things, you're not strong enough to do anything about it. And that it is a perfect uh, parallel to how civilizations and cultures and empires express themselves is by the time you figure it out, Oh, you got yeah, no no gas left in the tank. And every generation feels like it invented sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But the Greeks, man, they really did. I mean, they, they were the original revival tour where they're like, hey, culture, we're not done here. And, and let, let's get it on. Everything that we know as Westerners, every single thing that we know as Westerners spawns from the Greeks. And I think that's cool as fuck. And... Yeah. Yeah, either it spawned from the Greeks or it spawned from uh, some uh, some people bringing it back from China. It's one of the one of the two. <laughs> I I think that we could also very much include Middle Eastern cultures and Egyptian cultures. They, oh, I yeah. mean, there there there's a lot going on. Well, in with the world the Egi- today. Uh, with the Egyptian cultures, uh, most of the Greek. There are a lot of the Greek. I took this class on some Greek and Roman religions, which was very, very interesting because it was talking about not the mythology, but the uh, why they worshipped uh, in certain ways, why they built their temples in certain ways, that sort of stuff. And we talked about we started in the ancient Near East and Egypt, and uh, it's interesting how the, the like the religious aspect transferred almost directly to Greece with a lot uh, there with a lot of parallels between. Uh, the gods and how they worship them and uh, a lot of things in greek society came from egypt and other places in the ancient near east and it's interesting to see how it all built upon each other starting in the fertile crescent and then spreading outward what's even more interesting because everything in human history is in some way shape or form linked if you look at the ancient persian sumerian inscriptions like they're what what they carved into the stone like cuneiform and stuff uh no i'm actually talking about like uh physical representations of their gods oh okay sorry i'm I'm thinking that something else (laughs) so so what i find the most interesting is you can see in uh persia sumeria region egypt in in peru and also over in uh thailand the same image of a bird or a fish-faced creature that has wings that looks like it's carrying a battery pack separated by about 10,000 years carved in stone and i'm not i'm not a conspiracy theorist however <laughs> i don't know if you could call it a conspiracy when you have 10,000 years and 30,000 miles separating three different four different cultures over that amount of time carving the same image in stone what I would love to say, speaking to that, is obviously the migration of human beings came from one place because we can trace it genetically. Why, why human beings chose to carve that one deity is the most interesting thing. Because well, we talk about the missing link. Some people say that it's the stoned ape theory. Some people say that it's the seeded planet. Some people say that it's creationism. 
I, I say look at the, the literal sands of time and what has not been swept away. For some reason, the ancient people all chose to carve into stone this one specific image of a deity holding what looks like a battery pack. And I, over the course of my years of study, wonder, are we, in fact, a seeded planet? And that ties back to what you were talking about earlier with Mars, with the quakes. And have you ever given consideration to the point that maybe Mars lost its magnetic field, that the wasteland that it is today is the actual birthplace of our species and our civilization. And we at one point jumped over to planet earth because there in the sands of time seems to be some runes and artifacts that might point to a civilization that at one point lived on Mars. Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a super, super interesting thing to dive into. I know um, uh, some people I'm I'm very close to actually uh, believe that uh, it was like an an alien life seeding sort of situation and that the many passages of even the Bible were written just uh, to help us talk about things that we couldn't otherwise interpret that like the, the many eyed seraphim might were like big, uh, cameras of their large machines and i just thought that was a an interesting take i'm not sure what i subscribe to myself but i absolutely think it's incredibly interesting to hear about <laughs> for sure i i don't know what i i i'm definitely have my rational cap on and i, I subscribe to most of what we know scientifically yeah. through our observations however the sands of time do seem to wipe away a lot of what is possible like for instance i recently rewatched the movie oblivion which is on netflix right now and the movie Obl- have you ever watched it tom cruise I, mean, I, I don't believe so no <laughs> so the the concept of this movie sci-fi odyssey is um an alien uh let, let, let's call it uh ai mechanical race kind of like the borg from star trek yeah enters enters into the uh, solar system we're out there exploring and, and we meet it and they absorb the the team and and they they turn the astronauts into clones and they use the clones against us but the very first thing that they do is they blow up the fucking moon and let nature take its course like you know tides stop happening flooding and and mayhem and chaos seven billion people die and then they take the clones down and they just wipe out most of everybody else and they start to suck the water out they they just suck it out suck it out suck it out and for about five decades the the remnants of humanity are like shit this sucks but we're going to try to fight back and and the reason that i talk about this is in that movie they they show like new york city like the empire state building is at the top of the sediment because when the major motions geologically of earth happen can you imagine now this is what i'm getting at this is the the point the build-up now the point is if we were to bury our entire history under say a thousand meters worth of sediment and now give it another 100,000, 200,000 years worth of development and more sediment happens, how much of that do you think we would ever find? And that's possibly, 
it's possibly what happened on planet earth it is possible like you know genetically we know that humanity has the possibility to expend, extend back to like two three four hundred thousand years ago within a ten thousand year period of time we have discovered that we don't know if the pyramids were built in that time period the sphinx might be twenty thousand years old and that's the best we got <laughs> that's truly yeah. the best we got but we do have evidence of nuclear sites we do have evidence of like of things we found sunken cities off the coast of cuba that have pyramidal structures and and what's really cool if you're willing to take your rational hat off for just a second and think about it like maybe maybe humanity has had a rise and fall before and it's so far swept away in the sands of time that we are just now getting to the point where we're catching up to the beginning of where we were before and what's really cool about it is is when you think about the the fermi paradox of why haven't we met anybody else is it is entirely possible that there is a glass ceiling to how far you can expand like the there is entirely possible the rationale that you can only go so far and no further because if you go any further you're just destined and doomed to kill yourself off and here we are in modern day times and for the last 20 years scientists have been telling us global warming's are coming and here we are now and i mean it was like 75 degrees in new york just yesterday yeah. and i'm like whoo they they told us and and here it is and and one of the beautiful things about and, and this is where i'll wrap it up one of the th beautiful things about global warming is so long as you don't have children and plan to have grandchildren this could be one of the most beautiful epic times ever to live on planet earth like with connection golden age of information beautiful climates however once it collapses i the ice samples of core samples of geology show that the collapse is total. It's epic. It's fast and it's complete and it's total. So to wrap this up in a nice neat little <laughs> bow, this is fucking awesome. Just enjoy it while it's here. It could be a hundred years. It could be 20 years. Who the fuck knows, but it's and fucking awesome right now. And hopefully people get together and maybe work on saving the earth, hopefully. And if it doesn't happen, uh-oh. <laughs> so then that leads us to a, a new uh, conversation branch. Do you think that humanity has the ability with technology to create a homeostasis in lieu of nature? Like, for instance, in Star Trek, the the capital planet is Coruscant and it's highly industrialized. It's totally I Coruscant was uh, star Wars, star Wars. Sorry. Star Wars. I apologize. Star Wars yeah. to totally encapsulated with pavement and completely industrialized. Do you think yeah. that humanity has the, the potential to build technology to create a, a false sense of homeostasis? I actually made a podcast episode on this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's called a citywide plan. It's called an ecumenopolis. Uh, I, it seems like a planet covered only in city. 
I mean, theoretically, it's possible knowing that we can knowing that we can grow burgers in a lab, knowing that uh, we can produce pretty much anything we need within a within the confines of a concrete building. It makes sense that we could uh, eventually wipe out nature if we had. Uh, because we've got, uh, we're making better and better air filters that have, uh, that can uh, produce oxy oxygen from, uh, what's up, from like carbon dioxide and stuff. We've, we're getting better at this stuff. It's obviously would not be possible today. And I, I hope it never happens because I like nature a lot. I think it's beautiful. I think that getting, that decimating all nature would be uh not only a bummer but also we since we got we gained so much scientific scientific knowledge from looking at things in the natural world uh and trying to copy it the i think it would be a massive shame both for all of knowledge and just for for people in general if that happened but i do think it's a possibility it's not what i like but i i think it's definitely something that could happen so going back to movie references did you watch interstellar i th i think it's a part of interstellar so the the big brushstrokes of interstellar is nature started to reject life on planet earth uh this fungus or bacteria called blight uh, eradicated all the crops that made it possible for human life to exist agriculturally. Um, and they were left with just corn and then corn started to be infected by blight and they reached out to the stars and they found a wormhole off the, I don't know, off of Saturn or whatever, like just make some space shit up. They found a wormhole <laughs> and, and they, they built a space station in the form of a ring to cr that was orbiting to create artificial gravity, kind of like the movie Elysium. And, and there is the very, very big question of breaking off planet Earth. Breaking off planet Earth requires us to replicate all the niceties of planet Earth, right? Like, we, we've, right. we've got to have abundant ecosystems. And what we've found is microbiology makes like falsifying ecosystems very difficult because human brains create systems. Like, so for instance, the system that we create on the computer in a digital space, or even in uh, a natural agricultural space is we're only able to handle so much before we just break the ice because we're not able to juggle enough balls, right? Right. So the, so the big question and this is truly the big question of breaking off this planet is one decision tree or take care of this because it's the only place we can live is the second decision tree. At, do you truly think humanity has the ability on its own without AI to juggle all the balls to create artificial nature? Because if we're going to terraform, we got to be in control, right? question mark i don't yeah. know i mean yeah I, I don't know i mean i definitely think that uh, ai would probably play a big part in it if without ai which i don't know if that's a fair uh, if without ai is a, a fair thing to to hypothesize and project because we do have it but uh, uh without it 
I don't know. I feel like the to to quote Henry Ford, uh, uh, everyone's favorite mass-producing car manufacturer, uh, nothing is particularly hard if you divide it into small jobs. And I think that with enough people working on it together, it could probably because you know as we know, bees are considered or some bees are considered tool users because of their hive mind intelligence uh, that comes not from one bee being smart, but from the collective all contributing little bits. And I'm not oh. saying that humans are a hive mind, nor am I saying that uh, humans Whoa. are a collective intelligence. Oh yeah, That's, you, you okay. just inspired like. Uh an original thought on my side all right probably <laughs> probably something that has been considered because all original thoughts like either you're the one but probably not the one with nanotechnology and drone technology could you could you see part of the the terraform because pollination is a very important part of the piece of the puzzle but right now what we're facing is the collapse of ecostructures could you imagine artificial bees like little drones based on nanotechnology and ai that supplant technology and that could possibly be a way that we I guess band-aid similar to like you know broken code we're like well i'll just fix this like you know that code doesn't work but i need this algorithm to work so i'll just stitch this together <laughs> artificial bees um because because ultimately like the the question that we as humans have right now is we're we're about to collapse the ecosystem and it's it's this extraordinarily diverse delicate thing and we are currently, we, we conquered the globe. So either we're going to be the stewards or religion. Ah, I fucking hate talking about religion. However, uh, Ju Judeo-Christian Abrahamic religion says man was created in the image of God. And, you know, as we take dominion over this earth, that's very Luciferian energy, but wipe that off the table. We were created in the image of God. And now we're starting to create like these uh virtual worlds with ones and zeros and as we're about to collapse the fucking system stephen hawking said if we can survive the next hundred years we'll probably become a spacefaring nation i, I kind of buy into that i mean i've played sim world and i definitely cooked the world with too much co2 and and what what is one of the the greatest issues that has always plagued humanity every step along the way it has always been a game of don't break the ice like oh my god we got too big and we don't, like the soil has depleted itself mass migration and it used to be like in the 1800s like people would go and claim islands in the pacific for bird shit so that they could make <laughs> um, uh they could make uh fertilizer until the dude who invented tnt like figured out uh, how to artificially synthesize um ammonia so that now we have this population bloom and now that the population bloom has happened it's like oh shit we're about to break the ice again and and the critical point of breaking the ice is overfishing the oceans this is a weird one it's because like the the balance of species between the smallest of the small to the biggest of the big has always had like the same amount of biomass between the sizes and one of the the things that could break the ice is we've overfished the ocean so like the medium size animal life in the ocean is now depleted so the big ones and the small ones out of balance and similarly yeah. on land like the honeybees and the migratory birds 
have kind of had their situation busted up and and here we are like making soybeans and corn and we're like i love kellogg's and and we we do have to figure this out because otherwise if we don't figure this out like total collapse of the system however i really do think that we're smart enough to figure it out given enough time yeah i i worry about the application of more technology to problems caused by uh, overflows of technology, something like, uh, yes, I think that robot bees and stuff are a definitely a possibility in the future. But, uh, as with, if you take, take city planning for a sec, uh, a theoretical solution to traffic is to make all cars self-driving so that when a light turns green, all of them can accelerate at the same time and all of them can decelerate at the same time. And they'll be able to flow together and uh, was a, and basically be theoretically free of traffic. But in reality, it makes a city completely unwalkable uh, for uh, without like big overpasses or underpasses, which are frequent spots of muggings in big cities that already have them. And they and there are plenty of other uh, disadvantages that come from this application of tech that then, people will attempt to solve with more tech the i think that the this the solution to if people are going to try and solve the uh, whole ecosystem dying uh, lots of animal species being depleted uh, rampant overfishing over over everything basically because that's just how humanity does it uh, i think that the solution would have to would have to involve trying to protect that which we already have rather than creating uh creating robotic versions or whatever else uh, of them because frankly that is absolutely something out of a, dystop- a dystopian book i some some sort of young adult novel with some protagonist whose mother dies six pages in that is that is what that screams to me I, I would challenge that our future has a mixture of both coming down the pipeline and I'll illustrate with two examples that already exist. First example, nature. Uh, so I live in New York City and some of our waterways are the most polluted on planet Earth ever to ever be polluted. And one of the initiatives that uh, people who are trying to fix the problem came up with was the Billion Oyster Project, bivalves, their natural filtration. The, they're they're not creating oyster beds for the idea of human consumption. Obviously, for the next probably 100, 200, 300 years, these are going to be the most toxic animals that ever lived, ever. Yeah. However, do we want to use technology to literally dredge the heavy metals off the bottom of the rivers and the canals when a natural solution could fix the problem set a billion oysters that that is a very ambitious project especially in a very toxic situation so i I feel like that that that's one example of using uh nature to fix a human-made problem however uh, on a okay (laughs) on a on a technology level how do we how do we solve the problem like for instance there are uh examples in europe where you have major thoroughfares like freeways 
where instead where they they built like natural green bridges above it so that animals like migratory animals and like you know deer for instance can cross over and instead of instead of just like saying we're going to bust up your uh natural habitat we're going to give you pathways to coexist i feel like there there are a lot of integrated infrastructure which is what i think you're you're speaking to like we we have to use technology to work in concourse and and mm. symphony with nature otherwise we're doomed to fail and I, yeah I've, and I, I would definitely argue that both of those, both the, the billion oysters and those natural overpasses, uh, I think both of those can, uh, work towards that using nature to, while maybe the second one isn't using nature to solve a problem, but it's working with what nature has to uh, help help it no longer become a problem. I'd, I'd absolutely say that both of those sound like wonderful solutions. I'm, I mean, in addition, like, for instance, when we build skyscrapers, the skyscrapers are one of the most inefficient things that we can build. They're they're just energy sucks. They're they're terribly inefficient. However, by creating like green roofs and terraces and integrated like um, uh, I guess just greenery, we invite nature to be there. But it also becomes natural insulation um, instead of having a uh urban heat uh building like where, where the heat gets trapped in the concrete the the green starts to absorb and becomes its own biosphere like there are two ways that we can approach this that i can identify as a human being we either keep on going down the road of industry and coruscant star wars is you know pave the world and and just go for it and and figure it out and what quality of life do we have that's like blade runner like that that's just yeah hell. and and like the quality of life of most human beings like for instance the i believe it's the saudis are trying to build that like sliver city in, in the desert oh Sounds god that thing is but, yeah, the renderings look beautiful, but can you imagine the quality of life for the people who work service in that? It's going to be like working on a cruise ship, but for 30 miles, a 30-mile-long cruise ship. It's going to be god-awful terrible for all but 10% of the people. And that place isn't even sustainable. Like, the the nearest... Oh my god, it's it's awful. There's like one grocery store in there, but everything else is separated by like 10 miles of road that you then have to get in your car and drive away from. Like... It's oh my god! There's there's so much wrong. Well, with that I, mean, <laughs> I mean, just even on the sustainability level, I, I had a conversation with some a designer and uh, one of my previous employers, who was a mentor, came from the uh, the west, and he was talking about how he would love to retire on Lake Tahoe, and and I simply made the comment, you know, more people need to make the choice not to live out there, and he's like. He got very butthurt and upset. He's like, wah, wah, wah. I, I'm from there and I want to be there. I'm like, yeah, well, that that's chill. Like, I understand the roots of the connection, but, you know, there are aquifers that are drying up and rivers that are drying up. And that environment was never able to support the populations. Like, for instance, Phoenix. 
has probably single-handedly dried up the Colorado River. And now there is talk about massive infrastructure to either divert the Great Lakes or the Mississippi River to the American Southwest. On paper, I believe it's possible, but that takes us more on the industrialized Coruscant route rather than the work in concert with nature route. And I, I just question if humanity is going to have the political will and the selflessness to survive what's coming next, because what, what seems a lot more likely is devolving into chaos because of water wars, because of selfish short-sightedness. Um, it's I, not like there's not enough to go around, man. Yeah. Um, I am going to ask you to, uh, to like bring up some final thoughts because technically the tagline of this podcast is your daily 15 minute podcast. And we are at the hour and four minute mark. (laughs) So I probably should wrap this up. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I would love to hear any, any final thoughts that you want to want to give before we uh, move on to the tiny little segment at the end. (laughs) Oh, look. My my only thoughts are thank you for giving me a platform to decompress, get my thoughts out there, and to connect with a human who's as quasi-intellectual as I am, because the best we've got is finding friends in the world. So thank you for hosting this evening. Yeah, of course. Uh, and any time that you want to hop back on the podcast, I try, I try and do them every day. Uh, and you can join the Discord server where I'll give like notifications and stuff, um, which if you have questions on how to do that, I can pass you info. But other than that, I, I, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on. And uh, I've it's been a little bit since I've had the this manner of intellectual conversation. I, I've, I've enjoyed it greatly. <laughs> I like I said thank thank you for giving me the platform to speak. I really appreciate the invite to the Discord but I've been trying to keep my distance from Podbean because man you know as well as I know this is a black hole like once it sucks you in you're you're in. So I come around once every like couple weeks and and join on somebody's show and I keep it anonymous but my name is Matt. I'll keep your your show on the radar and I really really truly appreciate you having me up on your panel. Awesome. Thank you. Um, well, then that will bring us to the second to last segment, which uh, both both these last segments are really tiny. And it's up to you if you want to go or stay, that they're going to be really small. Uh, the, the first one is that I always find some reason to hit the comedy button, and I've been very engrossed in the conversation, uh, so I've not uh, been doing that. But there's a button that I have on my, my little panel of audio effects that uh, makes a little badumped sound. So, uh, if you have any like favorite jokes that you'd like to tell that are are nice and quick, even if it's like a dumb dad joke, uh, I can hit that for you. <laughs> uh, man, I, I I don't have anything off the top of my head, but if you want me to find something for you, I I can definitely pull something up. Uh, uh, usually, I then oh, what's up? If there isn't one that's like uh, directly off the dome. Uh, I usually find one related to the episode topic and technically the episode is still on Mars quake. So I just popped up uh, Mars jokes from, uh, I guess, upjoke.com. but just uh, let me know what you, you think of some of these uh, just dumb jokes from. Okay. So 
How how's this one? How to get a man on Mars? Tell America there's oil there. Da da da. God, okay. There, there's got to be a better one on this. There's 86 plus of these. Um, what do Mars and Oklahoma have in common? A lot of red dirt and no signs of intelligent life. Da, da, da. <laughs> All right, I'll do. I'll do. We'll find one more random one that looks tiny. Um, so why can't they send cats to Mars? Because curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> uh, do the oh, I don't I don't have a womp womp sound on this unfortunately I do have uh so that's kind of close enough <laughs> but other than that uh then we're on to the very final segment of this uh which is the song that's been in my mind all episode uh so I used to so oftentimes when I record these podcasts, I have a song that's either playing through my head currently or it's I've just been listening to a lot. So if you have any songs that you've been been listening to, anything that that's just been playing through your mind, a song you just really like, any any of those, uh, feel free to just to just mention one. <laughs> do you have the ability to use Spotify? Uh, no, I do not. I do not play the song right, right here, unfortunately, but I just sort of mentioned at the end. And since it's at the very end, people might be like, oh, I want to go listen to that right after this podcast ends. So, like, eh, it's... Oh, I don't edit yeah, these no, things. No. <laughs> so, I, I was in a bar in the Lower East Side of New York, and they were playing uh, 80s playlist, and I found this song uh, through shazamming it it's called remember where you are by jesse ware and it's got all the good stuff like 80s vibes i'd never heard it before and it was super slick and and like bopping your head so remember where you are by jesse ware okay yeah that super, sounds like a great time <laughs> yeah super cool song and the one that i've been that's been playing through my head uh you may have heard it i think it was uh it was on the fallout soundtrack but uh oh it's a big iron by uh marty robbins just uh, i don't listen to a ton of country but there's something about the song about the stranger with a big iron on his hip that just i i don't know why it makes my brain go good <laughs> Uh, brain go good yeah brain go good that's the best way i can describe it really like i i consider myself uh, a, a bit of an erudite individual but like sometimes you just have to find something that makes your brain go good <laughs> um, i like that phrase brain I, I i want my brain to go good now that's that's really the hope that uh, for basically all of humanity really but anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you again for hopping on and uh, hopping on Matt. And I hope you all have a wonderful day and goodbye. Y you can say bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Thanks for having me on. All right. Yeah, of course. Bye.